uh-oh, what's this remote doing here that um, controls time like the movie Click? Uh, it's the year 3000. I haven't, I haven't heard a good podcast in a long time. Maybe if I hit rewind, I can, I can get some good podcasts going. Let me, let me just hit that button. I, I don't know if this is legit or not. Google this. They think that it's entirely possible that octopus, octopi may have come from eggs that were frozen oh no i went back too far to joe rogan speculation let's go, there's something let's go about the way this week i'm going to be talking about how much i hate the rise of skywalker welcome back everybody to the mind over movies podcast um you know it's the podcast where um we talk about movies and film and film theory, and film criticism, and Star Wars, and Marvel. And that's really all there is to and it. then we dunk on your religion. Just <laughs> <for fun>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's a, it's a great time though. It is. I mean, it is. hopefully you guys like what you hear. Yeah. I mean, so grab your coffee. We talk about it all. Grab your stale popcorn and your stale popcorn salt. And uh, just relax. Let us take you away. You know, uh, speaking of, of popcorn, um, to d- this time is kind of unprecedented that you can go online and you can buy about a popcorn's worth of shares in AMC. And uh, maybe you'll be a thousand dollar heir. I don't know. <laughs> As today's recording. Um, it's not looking too good for the Reddit uh, stocks no. situation. No, I. Uh, which I, if you, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just looking at my stocks right now as you're saying that, and I'm just like, ugh, sad day. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you somehow haven't heard of the situation, Reddit has um, decided, you know, like that hedge funds have gotten a little too greedy. They uh, they borrowed too much. Uh, stock from GameStop like so much that it didn't even exist and they decided to kind of like prey on that and everyone invest in GameStop and it was going really well last week and so a lot of oh people yeah. noticed that some people were walking out of this millionaires mm-hmm. um, and they were like hey let's invest in uh, GameStop and also AMC um, Nokia is another stock and uh, the, the, the goal is for these stocks to shoot to the moon um, however, in today's recording, which is February second, uh, the stocks have not shot. The stocks the moon. have not. Um, I think GameStop we are down like two hundred dollars. Yeah, dude, I, I've lost. I've lost over two hundred dollars on my like total investment oh overall. Gosh. Like I, I'm, like it's okay though because you know they say don't invest more than you're willing to lose, and I told myself I was willing to lose that three hundred dollars, but it still hurts a little bit to see. Um, it down so much and me out so much money. I'm not pulling though, because it could go back up just a little bit. I would like for it to at least go back up to, you know, you know, 315, what I bought it at, or maybe 320 and then pull it. Um, but I've seen some people are already pulling, um, because they've just lost hope and they're like, well, I'm down $300,000, might as well pull and have $500,000. But 
Yeah, this is this is an interesting event that's occurred. You know, basically people foregoing like normal financial advice and kind of getting swept up in, in, in what I could only compare to like a gold rush. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm I'm not um I'm not <laughs> like saying that I'm, you know, standing apart from this because I have I think even more money invested than you. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. Uh, in AMC. <laughs> And let me tell you, today it is not looking great. Oh, no. I, uh, no, 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 no. And, you know, maybe you can judge this as bad decision making, but because of the dip in AMC today, I actually bought, you know, like another $100 worth of AMC, and at least that's made 50 bucks because it jumped back up to like $8. Right. But uh, I will say... That that's definitely not um, enough to come out of this with profit. And right. I'm hold. No, oh, yeah. Right. I'm I'm holding as well because I also I have about fifty dollars in AMC and I'm still holding out hope for AMC. I just want to acknowledge by the time this episode comes out, I accept. You know, I am at peace with the fact that Redditor science uh, may have been wrong and everyone involved might be broke. Or those mad lads did it. Either way, either just remember way. we record these early, and so if like you know yeah. we have like Teslas on the Twitter next week, just don't be surprised. Or if Casey's got a foreclosure on his home, do mm-hmm. not be surprised. Yeah, just whatever happens, just don't worry. It, it was. It's all part of the plan. It's all one. GameStop drops two hundred dollars and everyone loses their minds. <laughs> uh, nope. Honestly, though, it was worth it to see uh, petty billionaires lose out. You know, twenty, thirty billion dollars, however much they've lost so far. It was so worth it um, because honestly, screw those guys. Um, I mean, no, yeah, I mean, Melvin has already come out and said that they lost like 52% of their profits in January in large part due to GameStop succeeding when so many um, Wall Street people bet that it would go down. Yeah. And, you know, this has all been very, um, this has all been very educational for the public, I feel like, you know, like people are now seeing some of the shadier practices that go on in Wall Street, like the fact that people profit off of the stock market going down mm-hmm. like there's just a whole nother level of scumminess to like big wall street like hedge fund managers you know yeah and uh you know what's crazy though is like some of the people getting involved in this are like are the rich elite you know like yeah jordan belfort the literal wolf of wall street has a. Uh, has been tweeting all week about whole GME mm-hmm. and everything like that. Like, yeah, you've got the Wolf of Wall Street on your side. You got Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, dude. You got and, you got both sides of the political spectrum on your side as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean Wall Street bets. I don't know if anyone's like actually taking a look at the subreddit, but like, it's a very, um, I mean, to put it lightly, it's it reminds me of 4chan. And I think that oh, definitely with great intention because I think that's what they're going for. You know, they yeah, they call themselves the R word and they uh, they 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 compare getting stocks to like getting chicken tendies because <laughs> uh, they're quote upon quote like so stupid that 
if they had a million dollars, they would probably just spend it on chicken tenders anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's like kind of funny to read some of it, uh, to be honest with you. It It is. Like, honestly, it is strange how in this, in this regard, I think both sides of the political spectrum can agree, like, hedge fund managers and Wall Street people profiting off of the loss of others is bad. And, like, everyone's coming together for this hopeful, like, redistribution of wealth. And, you know, whether that happens or not, I think that shows that there can be a little bit of unity. Unfortunately, I don't think I can stand most of these people in, like, a situation other than this exact situation where everyone's hoping to, like, walk away with a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this is unifying in the same sense that it's feeding people self-interest and i feel like a lot of people aren't so concerned about like the redistrib redistribution of wealth and like you know if people who are poor right now actually make it out okay i think this is a large bit of like greed which is why you're seeing people like e elon musk who is already the richest man in the world get so involved with this it's like it's not actually all that noble i don't think Mm-hmm. yeah I'm, it's a time to be alive, honestly. This, I, I will say this is probably the most eventful January I've ever lived through in my life. Oh, uh, yeah. Know? Well, I mean, 2020's January was also eventful because we had World War III um, trending everywhere. That was that was honestly scary for me. But then this, this January, I Look. think, is even a little bit more... Um, eventful. It's like normally Januarys I mean, are back boring... At I mean, just think of last year's January, though. I mean, we had it easy. Like, we thought Kobe Bryant and, like, potentially World War Three happening was going to be the worst of the year. We had no idea that January and February were, like, our last months of freedom, you know? Like, yeah, we had no idea that we were going to be restricted to, like, staying inside. And, I mean, I'm not saying that that's, like, the wrong measure like that people shouldn't have started staying inside i'm just saying like everyone else i miss i miss my life before <laughs> yeah. covid and i mean like a year later we're still in it and it's just yeah. like man i would have rather potentially gone into world war three no maybe not <laughs> but it, sounds, it sounds a lot more interesting than what i've been up to this last year <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? true true uh I'm yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. World War, if we would have went into World War Three, if that would have started in January, I'm pretty sure we would have already been basking in the nuclear glow in 2021. Because um, that was not a, if we would have entered in that war, that would have been nasty. But uh, instead, we're fucking over Wall Street and uh, and living while in a pandemic with a new president and... Uh, a new podcast so yeah <laughs> new new podcast uh can we go ahead and just declare ourselves like a, a biden era podcast and not a trump era podcast despite when we came out you know i mean did we did we do our first episode after he became president-elect is that so is that no, i can tell you exactly when our first episode was and it was it was before it was before the uh it was before uh, so 
Oh, no. Actually, we technically are a Biden era podcast because our first episode came out on November 24th, which means we recorded it uh, either that day or the day before. So, yes. By then, he was already, he had already won the election. So, yeah, we're a Biden era podcast, guys. Um, it's official. Um, also, Dude, it feels good to say. I know, right? We didn't really talk about this on like last week's episode or or the actual one that came out, but the Christian media episode was our 10th episode. Uh, and I just feel like for any project that, you know, you're that people do in their, like, we're, we don't sink money into this at all. Like we, 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 I, I pay for the, for the, to get the thing on Spotify, but, but that's it. And it's not even that much. Um, so this really is just a thing we do in our free time that we're trying to build up. And for any project, you know, that people do to get to a milestone, like, you know, 10 episodes, that's 10 weeks that we sit down for an hour and a half to record this thing. I feel like that's pretty, um, I'm not going to say impressive, pretty, uh, I don't know. It's big. I like it. It's momentous. It's momentous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, and, uh, where this is going to be episode 12 you're listening to right now. So, um, maybe on episode 20, We'll we'll do something we'll do something fun, maybe. We'll get crazy. We'll get we'll, we'll get a little crazy. We'll get we'll get nuts. We'll I'm play Among Us. Oh Among <laughs> Us podcast day. Right. Casey's pretty good at Among Us, actually. And speaking of being a a cheating lying hoe, what, did you see any movies? <laughs> Okay, I'm glad you said, okay, first of all, I'm glad you said I'm not going to hurt you, because I just remembered, I forgot to say this last week, but I rewatched uh, The Shining for like the third time, and uh, the documentary Room 237, um, which is about, uh, if you don't know, the Room 237 is like a, a documentary with a bunch of like film um, theorists and uh, critics that will go over their theories about what The Shining means. And let me tell you, there's like 11 or 12 people that talk in the documentary, and 10 of them are absolutely insane. Um, so it's a fun <laughs> fun watch. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Isaac, have it, you it, seen Room 237? I saw it once, like, and it's been a few years. What I remember is like the – it struck me – that a lot of the people talking aren't like professional like film analyst people and like a lot of their audio was recorded in their home like studio yeah yeah Um, i remember like there being like a a lot of bad audio and yeah i do remember that some of the people i just straight up did not (laughs) agree with (laughs) i thought they were crazy i know i know (laughs) they're so some of the theories are so ridiculous um but Honestly, I mean, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I hope you don't mind about The Shining. Um, oh, no, not at all. That's like my favorite horror movie. Yeah. After, you know, after rewatching it, um, and, I, and I forced Luke to watch it, you know. Well, I didn't force him. He had to watch it for his film theory class. Um, Did he like it now? So he liked it a little bit better than than he did. Okay. Um but here's what I'll say about The Shining. Rewatching it, I, I fell in love with it even more, and I even raised my score on it a little bit. I think before I had it at, at four stars, four out of five stars, I raised it to four and a half out of five because there's just something I, I know. <laughs> there's just something about how the audio in the movie is mixed, like with the music that 
makes it feel super like grand and also terrifying and also just rewatching some of the scenes like with the when he goes to the bar and he sees like he starts imagining the the bartender whatever if it's real or a ghost or whatever yeah lloyd um that that scene is so amazing and then in the bathroom and just the perfect framing of every single shot in that movie just how immaculate it is i just i can't gush about like the cinematography enough and jack nicholson's performance amazing the the set design is amazing and watching room 237 yeah a lot of them are are just out of their fucking minds honestly like but there are a couple of, of points made by some some uh interview interviewees in that documentary that really kind of like raise the hair on your arms um, for example, the window, do you remember the window, the impossible window? No. What, what's that? So in the room, so when Jack first comes into the hotel and he meets the guy, um, the, the man that like offers him the job and he walks in and there's, oh, yeah, Ullman. yeah, Ullman, yeah. And there's that window behind him and there's like light, like sun coming through it, um, but uh, there was like one interviewer, interviewee that was like, I-, I knew as soon as I saw that window that something was off. So like I rewatched it and she's like, I kept replaying it and rewatching it. And then I realized that that window, there's no way that that window can exist. Because if you look at the framing of where Jack Nicholson walks into the room and like look at the layout of the hotel, uh, that there can't be a window there because he's not at the end of the building. He's in the middle of the building and the window, if there was a window would just be looking into another room, but instead it's like the sun is shining through it. Um, which, so I like, I would, they replayed it like on the documentary. And if you look like she's right, like there shouldn't be a window there, whether they actually, you know, whether he did that on purpose or whether they filmed in like a different like room within the hotel and they just didn't realize it. I, I doubt it though, because Stanley Kubrick puts things uh, in weird places for a reason. Um, she's right. There yeah. shouldn't be a window there. And I was like, Whoa, what the hell? Like that is so weird. Um, the, and of course there's other only things. Cause it's Stanley. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, you know, any other, any other film director, that's just like a, a continuity error, but you know, right. that's, that's got me seriously thinking like what, what is intentional there? Yeah. Or, I mean, is any of it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. What else is in the documentary that they touch on? Well, yeah. I mean, just the whole layout of the hotel, um, is, is so weird. Uh, like when, uh, they meant, they brought up the, the fact when Danny is on the, uh, when he's riding his his bicycle around the around the hotel, um, they were pointing out that like you know Stanley Kubrick wants you to get a feeling of like how the hotel operates, and so like um, I I think I think of it like back to Parasite uh, with if you think about Parasite if you think about that house can't you just close your eyes and walk through that house like you have every like corner memorized because the way the film was like shot like. Like, I know that house, like, inside and out. Like, if I were to walk in that house, I would know where everything is. You know you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, no, that's it's an iconic house, and I mean, yeah. everything they do in the film like makes you so familiar with the layout, like you know it, like it's its own, right? Like it's its own character. Yeah, yeah. And that's what they were arguing that Kubrick was doing with Danny riding his tricycle. So like when you see the first shot of him, he like rides in a circle around like the main um, where um, where Jack like walks towards uh, where he's always at his typewriter and where he has the hatchet and he says the famous line like or. Not he doesn't have the hatchet. His wife has the Shelley Duvall has the bat, and she's swinging at him, and he's like walking up that staircase. That main floor where Danny is riding, he rides in a circle, and if you watch it, you can see that he's just riding in a circle around there. And then, uh, in a net in the next scene or like a couple scenes after, he's riding again, but he's on this like the top floor, the staircase floor, like right above it, and it's shot to where you can see the um stairs leading down to that main room where he was riding earlier and if you like map out the pattern of where he's like riding it doesn't make any sense like he shouldn't be able to like ride like that and um like just with how the hotel is like set up like what it, what's previously established and then what you're seeing now it's like an like sort of like an impossible staircase type situation where it's like how does that make any sense how is he riding there and you know then with the with the twins, when he first sees the twins and the ball rolls towards him, uh, in the first shot, he's facing one way, and then in, we cut to the twins, and then we cut back to him, and he's facing the complete opposite way, like that you can see the pattern on the carpet is like reversed. And to me, as a filmmaker, that doesn't make any sense at all because the ball rolls straight up to Danny, like in a straight line with the pattern of the carpet, and then it cuts, and then it cuts back, and he's turning the complete opposite way which and if i was filming that scene you know i would have done danny's whole take there and he wouldn't have had to move we wouldn't have had to turn him around or or anything like that and it's just things like that where i'm like this had to be on purpose but for what what's the point it's so weird dude like i mean and I'm not saying Room 237 is a good documentary by any means. Like it's the audio is mixed horribly. The people are absolutely insane. But there are some points raised that just make you want to go yeah. back and rewatch The Shining, like like a couple of times over. Um, no, I've never noticed the the, the like shifting um, construction of the house. Like I yeah, I guess that's just something that never I I, I never like thought to look for. Really, right, you know. I mean, a lot yeah. of movies, you know, people just turn their brains off and, you know, accept whatever reality is going on. I mean, it, I think filmmakers are the people who look for, like, details like that the most. And so it's very insightful when, like, another filmmaker or just, like, someone watching with a more critical eye catches details like that. Like, I appreciate films like Room 237 because they, they ignite discussion um of films that have been established as classics and that people think they know everything about because it shows that you know to movies like the shining there's actually more and more layers that we possibly don't know about yet and that's very exciting that gives you a a good reason to revisit the movie i mean oh definitely i try to revisit it every october um yeah for sure i try i try to watch it you know every now probably like every year um but uh but yeah, it's just it's super interesting. Um, so if you haven't if you, if if y'all haven't seen The Shining yet, please watch The Shining. And if you've seen it, watch it again and start looking for stuff. I mean, there's there's hundreds of weird stuff going on in that movie um, that you can 
you know, put your own theories and film criticism eye to, and uh, it's really cool. It's, it's just a really cool movie to deconstruct and um, just pick apart and just look at how fucking weird it is, dude. I, I love it. It's great. I had a fun time <laughs> uh, watching that. I watched them in the same day. We watched The Shining, and then we watched uh, Room 237, which was a, a great... So that day, I was just hyped up on The Shining. That's all I could think about. It's like, man, that's a great movie. <laughs> Yeah, that that sounds like a good pairing right there. Yeah. I uh, I kind of experienced an interesting pairing this last week. I uh, oh yeah, what'd you watch? You know, this is gonna this is gonna sound like a a drift off of films for a second, but it'll come back. Okay. I read in Cold Blood for the first time by Truman Capote. Did you ever read that in high school? Um, no, but you told me about it. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. It's like the first true crime not like true crime book of its time um truman capote essentially you know saw this murder uh that happened in kansas this quadruple homicide which was crazy at the time like people just weren't murdered like that with like no clear motive no clues and i mean eventually the killers were brought in and he went and like extrapolated like every detail along with harper lee like author of to kill a mockingbird and in the book uh, what I love is that you don't see Truman Capote or Harper Lee as a character at all. Like, it's just about the two killers, Perry Smith and Dick Hickok, and, you know, the people investigating them, the victims, and it's a great study in empathy. But something about that book that's come out in years since it's been published is that Truman Capote played fast and loose with the facts and there was a lot of manipulation on his part to shape the story the way it was like in the book it's mentioned that once the killers were convicted they uh they get an appeal you know they find a lawyer and they're they're trying to get an appeal for it uh in reality truman capote got them an appeals lawyer uh, in large part so that they wouldn't be executed before he could get the full story out of them. And it's interesting tidbits like that, that dive me into what is actually a movie Capote, which I saw for the first time this week, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I think the late and the great. Yeah. He, it's probably one of his best performances. Like he is almost unrecognizable, which is crazy because all he did really is shave his face and change his voice. Although apparently he lost weight for this role too, Hmm. but he looks, he looks like about the same to me. I don't know, but he's just like incredible. He's completely immersed in this character. And this is, um, this is probably the best instance of an actor, like acting non-verbally too. Uh, Uh which is weird because Capote is most known for his voice, which he uses plenty in the movie. But, like, there's a scene where, like, he lifts up a coffin of one of the victims and he, like, looks down and then he looks back up and he's, like, disgusted. And it's all in the same shot. And you don't even see what he sees, but you have everything you need to know right there on Philip Seymour Hoffman's face because he just looks, like, horrified by whatever he's just seen. And, like, there's so much in this movie with his performance that I almost want to recommend it based on that. But I will say this is probably one of the more interesting movies I've seen in a while because I think it's kind of worthless without having read the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, like, you can... 
become invested in the story that it's telling like the 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 retelling of in cold blood that's going on but the problem is unless you've actually read in cold blood it's just gonna seem like the events of the film are like jumping around a lot um and you might not get a lot out of some of the details they dive into like uh for a book reader, the revelation that Truman Capote hired a lawyer for Dick Hickok and um, Perry Smith is, like, mind-blowing. For a movie viewer, it's like, oh, well, yeah, he's manipulating the situation and telling a story. Like, I think this is the first biopic I've seen where you absolutely need to have read what it's based on, and then you can watch it, and it'll be, like, a nice companion piece that way. But, I, yeah, I really don't think it holds up on its own. But, yeah, I... Uh, I, I really think that, like, a strong performance can anchor a movie like this. Uh, and, I mean, it really did make me miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. But I just, I just thought this was interesting. As, like, a biopic, you usually get the full story that you need. And this one kind of decided to just be set in one moment in this person's life. And I, I think that's gotcha. an original idea that I like. But I do think that modern biopics might have it a little bit better with uh, looking into all the details of someone's life because, you know, there's a bit more of a coherent story. Right. When you do it that way. Um, but still, I do prefer this over something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which like oh God, straight yeah. up just embellishes the facts and is just so formulaic. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of people really like that movie because Queen's their favorite band, and it's so interesting uh, to see yeah. it. But like, if you know Freddie Mercury's like life, you know that that film is like such a discredit to like what he actually went through, and like, <clears throat> I mean, definitely he, the editing alone <laughs> in Bohemian Rhapsody, definitely ridiculous. Yeah, I I think what they're trying to do with Bohemian Rhapsody with, and I, I'm pretty sure the the you know the surviving members of Queen. Uh, kind of oversaw the production a little bit, I think is what I read. And what they're really trying to do is build their myth. Like, I mean, they want to build up, you know, Freddie Mercury especially, and they want to build up themselves as a, uh, it's like this band that has so, 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 so many uh, hit singles and hit songs um, that everybody knows. Um, and so they have to have an intriguing, interesting story to back that up, um, which is partly why that movie is as abrasive and um you know i guess yeah, legendary as, as, as like, it is it, it lacks subtlety you know like definitely you know it, it feels like a clap on the back a lot of the times oh it's strange yeah. that the one dead member of the band who the story is focused on doesn't really get to lend to his perspective because just a, a basic examination of the facts will will show you that the surviving band members of Queen clearly are just like trying to look as good as they can in in this because Freddie gets kind of thrown under the bus a lot. Like in the movie, they'll have you believe that Freddie Mercury is the one who is solely responsible for Queen breaking up because he wanted to do a solo career. Literally every other <coughs> member of the band did like solo stuff before Freddie Mercury did. And Freddie Mercury did the least amount of uh, of solo uh, albums, you know. Like, yeah, they they weren't not Queen for very long. And it was definitely not Freddie Mercury's fault. Oh he yeah, was, I mean, he definitely had his issues, and he was going through um, 
like a big like realization in his life that he uh, he needed to live his lifestyle as a as a gay man um, more comfortably and uh, more excessively and uh, you know his he did have a manipulative manager but you know apparently in real life you know it wasn't so black and white that one dude just like yeah manipulated him so much apparently he he was always with freddie but i don't think that it was so clear that he was like such a villain and and same with like the first producer they have in the movie played by Littlefinger. like apparently that guy <laughs> is really pleasant and was really pleasant to work with but he didn't like believe in one of their albums so the surviving uh queen band members have him thrown under the bus in the movie and played like a, a slimy guy too right um, yeah which i think uh that sucks but i mean the instant your your role is played by little finger i mean you're not gonna have a great time you're not gonna look good coming out of that biopic you know yeah <laughs> oh excuse me um yeah, that's and that honestly that's the problem with a lot of biopics is is they're informed by you know either the surviving members or family members that want to make so and so look good and so and so look bad and kind of manipulate the facts a, a little bit. Um and also you got to make it dramatic for people to, you know, be invested. Like Queen's mm -hmm. story of them like getting together is actually much more boring in real life than it was in the movie. Um Apparently that scene where like Freddie Mercury came and they needed like a lead singer um, and he was just hanging out after one of their shows and he offered to apparently that never happened at all. Like it happened completely different than that and in a yeah, much I, less I, interesting way. <laughs> I heard that like uh, from this uh, YouTube channel I watch called History Buffs, which is a really good channel, um, that he was actually like friends with people who were friends with brian may and the other yeah. uh, queen band member who i can't remember and so when their singer quit of his own accord like in, in pretty good terms it sounds mm -hmm. like um freddie mercury was just like oh yeah i'll come i'll come sing with you guys because they invited him you know it wasn't so dramatic it wasn't like he set himself up for that they were they were already acquainted apparently right together and yeah right the rest is history but I feel like we could do a whole like episode about how like oh, yeah. modern biopics came to be because they've they've become something of a formula, you know, like yeah. especially ones about bands. Like I I feel like most uh, biopics about people who were in a band or are musical artists just kind of have the same structure despite being, you know, different. It, it it's so ridiculous that like. Uh, a parody movie like walk walk the line uh the dewey cox yeah it's wa uh, the walk the dewey cox story yeah <laughs> yeah uh the, a movie like that which is complete parody and like completely made up can hit the same beats yeah as, like a yeah. movie about someone's real like life you know like and that's insane to me that we've become so bogged down by biopics yeah. that like you can just make up utter nonsense and it sounds like Freddie Mercury's story, you know? Yeah. Dewey Cox is my favorite musical biopic, by the way. <laughs> That's without saying. Yeah. I don't I don't know what my favorite biopic is, but yeah, we could do a whole episode. We, we, we'll do a whole biopic episode, and at the end, we'll give a ranking of our, our, our top favorite biopics. That, 
you know what? That sounds like a grand old time. That, that sounds yeah. like a new ride at Six Flags opening up. Heck yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we definitely want to do more segments on uh, on our podcast. Like, I know, you know, early on we said, you know, it would mostly be, uh, you know, researched topics. But we've been having a lot of fun with the, uh, with the free form episodes like this one. Um, and, I mean, the ranking last week with Marvel, yeah, I, I had well, a pretty great time. Like, it's always interesting to see our opinions, yeah. um, you know, in, in numerical contrast. <laughs> right. I mean, also, rankings are just really fun. Uh, like, sometimes I'll go on, like, the, the, the ranking website where it's uh, the tier lists and stuff and just mm. look at different things they have and just do my own ranking. Like, it's just it's just fun, uh, I think. <laughs> um, and I like, I like talking about them on the podcast, um, you know, with another person uh. so you can compare and contrast opinions and take L's and uh, it's a fun time. <laughs> well, the fun thing about rankings is like it's something everyone can do. Like I love mm-hmm. that people on Twitter can just like send us their their ranking like, yeah. subsequently. Like, you know, Sam and yeah. and uh, and Saxon did it that one time. You know, as soon as we did our best of 2019 list, they, they right. hit us with, the, with theirs. Yeah, um, which are some good lists, by the way. Yeah, great list. I I've really loved just all the engagement with the community on Twitter. Like, if you guys don't follow us already, we're Mind Over Movies too, uh, on Twitter. On Twitter. Um, and we we have some really great discussions. Like, people had a fantastic Last Jedi discussion a couple of weeks ago, um, and that was just amazing to see. Like that discourse kind of be positive for once you know like every time last jedi and the sequels usually come up uh mm-hmm. it devolves pretty quickly into nitpicking yeah and, oh you're stupid if you think star wars is about this and i i feel like we hosted one of the most productive like star wars conversations i've ever seen occur on social media yeah i'm not gonna lie <laughs> people had differing opinions in the comments but they were civil <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know nice. i know i was very surprised i was like wow this is good discussion and nobody's called somebody a bitch yet so <laughs> yeah that's lovely i mean you're a bitch but like yeah so am i uh, also know? yeah that's great. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> very true um but we're not just done talking about movies yet no, 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 sir. We're not. We're not letting you off the hook. We're not letting what, you off the what hook. What else did you see, Casey? Oh, I, I definitely saw some more. If you um, saw some more. Oh, I definitely saw some more. Um, I'm gonna do. I'm if gonna you do. Show me yours. I'll show you mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so January was actually a good month for film for me. I watched a, a bunch of new stuff, and um, one of the things I finally got around to sit down and watching in its entirety was uh, the 1925. Uh, masterpiece silent film masterpiece by uh sergey eisenstein uh battleship potemkin um it's got the famous uh odessa staircase sequence uh with a i think i've mentioned this on the podcast a couple times or yeah. maybe one one episode but yeah i sat down and watched all of it and i really enjoyed it is it is it pretty good um the last like 15 minutes are probably the most boring of the entire movie but like the movie starts off with like a uh a it's like it's like part one maggots and men or something like that and i was like oh my god okay here we go um 
and uh, yeah, that's an intense. It's re- yeah, it's really intense. The movie is very angry. I mean, it's a Soviet uh, Soviet Russia like movie um, about the rebellion, and um, it's really really good. Um, just full of full of rage. Really liked it. The Odessa staircase sequence is obviously one of the best montage like sequences ever put to film. Like ever, it's it, terrifying and really well shot and intense, and I love it. Um, and if you haven't, just go on YouTube and look up Odessa staircase scene, and it, it'll pull up yeah. the battleship Potemkin. It's awesome. Um, a little bit of <clears throat> film history there, and then uh, I don't know if I Ooh. told you this, Isaac, or I don't know if you saw it on my letterbox, but I watched Hio Miyazaki's 2001 masterpiece Spirited Away Spirited Away I I did see our tweet um on the Twitter account which, yeah. which had me thinking oh I didn't know Casey was into Spirited Away like that but uh had you never seen it before I have never seen it before um and I was getting really close to if it was brought up on the podcast I was thinking if I haven't seen Spirited Away and it gets brought up on the podcast, I am in deep shit uh, because I know that a lot of people love this movie. And I was very scared going into it because I have my own reservations about, you know, the anime Japanese like art style. I don't God, find it. I'm not going to look at your letterbox rating. I'm going to sit here in suspense. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I have my own reservations about it. I don't particularly find it eye-catching or interesting um, in in most things that I've seen. And I also have had this movie hyped up for me for years now. Everybody talks about this film being five stars, being 10 out of 10, a masterpiece. It's perfect. So I'm going into it thinking, okay. And naturally, I fucking loved it. It is hey. amazing. I thought this film was so precious. It is so like magical, honestly. Like I I was blown away. This film is awesome. If you haven't seen Spirited Away, which I highly doubt you haven't, watch Spirited Away. It on like it deserves the hype. It is it's different in like so many different ways. Um and just beautiful. Like I thought the animation was absolutely stunning. Um, and the, the, I think that this is like definitely the superior, um, Alice in Wonderland. I, oh, I definitely. That's just always been my view on it. Like, I think that this world is so much more interesting that, uh, Chihiro, um, gets sucked into like, yeah, there's so much going on there. Like, oh de- yeah, everything is so fantastical. Like the mm-hmm. dude with like eight arms, like that's just yeah. on the coal machine and like the bathhouse in general like that's something that people forget about this movie it's 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 set in like primarily one location in this like fantastical world but everything is just so strange and foreign like in it that it just seems so like different i don't know yeah it, it's definitely an odd transportation uh, yeah and, go through. and the the japanese um uh ooh, what how do, how do i say this the uh the art style? No, it's the. I almost said lore, <laughs> but that is not the word. Um, the like the okay, so like the mythical creatures of like the kami and the spirits, yeah. like that. Like I love the inclusion of all of that. 
I mean, obviously, I mean, Hio Miyazaki is going to pull from, you know, inspiration from, you know, um, like what he knows. But like, I like, <clears throat> I have a confession. I'm a Magic the Gathering player. Um, one of my, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, sets from magic is the, the Kamigawa block. And it's like all Japanese, um, like creatures and Japanese, like, uh, folklore. That's, that's kind of what I was looking, I get the word I was looking for, I guess, like myths from Japanese legends and stuff like that. And they use like the Kami is like one of the creature types. And I, I like, they always have like the best like abilities and powers, um, in magic and then, you know, watching spirited away and, and seeing like all those, I, was, I recognized them and I was very interested in it. And I thought it was just really cool that they added a bunch of, um, Japanese like history like that, you know, I, I don't know if history is the right word, but you know what I'm saying? Like just a bunch of like, like, like mythos and lore. I yeah. Mean, I mean like the culture, the culture. Is yeah. 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 In, in spirited away. And I think it's so lovely that, um, you know, Disney took it on. And, and was able to, to bring it to America, and we were able to experience this like magical movie. Um, yeah, with and, like, and I mean, they they went all out with the dub. Did you watch the dub or the so sub of this movie? so? Yeah, I was, I I watched the dub. I the dubbed because on HBO Max it's set to the dubbed, and so when I started watching it, I was like, wow. I was like, this is sounds very American, and I. Uh, I paused it and I looked for like the subtitle and it, it does have a subbed option, but honestly, and I, like precursor here, I, I hate dubbed things. I will always watch subbed. If there is a sub available to me, I will always do that. But mm-hmm. the voice acting for the dub for spirited away was so good that I was like, you know what? I don't even freaking care. I'm just, I'm going to watch the dub because it, it was very good good it was so good it's the best dubbed version of anything i've ever heard so um i do want to go back and watch the sub version just because i'm that type of person but the dub is very very good like it had no no bearing like on on me watching it at all i thought it was great it was perfect so uh, that's what i'll say about that i think (laughs) the great thing about dubbing and animation is that um you can match up with the lip flap movements a little bit more because they're not actually replicating what a japanese mouth speaking japanese would look like you know it's just a mouth closing and opening and closing and opening and you can put english words in there and you know uh you'll sometimes like this was a technique that was invented by sergio leone because a lot of his movies were um made in italy but then like brought to america so italian actors reading their lines would like have a longer word right in america they would have you know like an actor with his mouth open still even though the english sentence has ended so they would add in something like a laugh you know so like yeah sergio leone's characters are like laughing for some reason (laughs) right right (laughs) but like this is something that i think has been applied to animation really well because if a character's mouth is still opening and closing they'll usually put like a nice touch on there like you know maybe another english word or like some kind of like mannerism like a chuckle or something like that like i think i i don't know this because i've actually never seen the subbed version of spirited away but i think that in this film like just anything that the character does in the original japanese movie is just translated so well into the english version that like every line of dialogue or every change 
just seems to fit uh, yeah. the character regardless. Um, I don't remember a lot of the names, but the, the witch lady um, <laughs> that runs the the bathhouse. Oh, Yubaba. Incredible. Yubaba, yes. I am once um, again thinking about Yubaba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Yubaba has a sister, but I don't know. I can't remember her name. Um, they, they're twins, so they look exactly alike. <laughs> but I mean, like, even though they look exactly alike, like just the the actress's performance um, in the mannerism yeah. of the character just does distinguish them so well. And I, uh, I don't know. I've really, I've really loved that about Spirited Away on multiple rewatches. Is that like the English version of the movie tries so hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. the original feeling of like whatever the sub is and um i think it does it flawlessly and i think that about every disney dub of these uh studio ghibli movies like they're all incredible ponyo princess mononoke porco rosso uh just like to name a few because there's yeah. just a ton of these movies and most of them are good which is a testament to, to just how wonderful an animation studio that studio ghibli is yeah definitely and i'm i'm diving in more to studio ghibli films i i'm i started watching my neighbor totoro um if that's how you say it um uh i think it's totoro totoro that's just the way i've said it all my life that that one's interesting i i've I've had a hard time watching it as an adult yeah Um, that's i kind of kind of slow (laughs) yeah i I don't know like i started watching i'm only about 15 20 minutes in because i started watching it one night and then i realized i was too tired so i like turned it off and went to bed but um it's definitely more childish than i I expected especially with the opening and everything um and it was a little slow starting out but I, i mean i have high hopes for it because a lot of people say a lot of people go back and forth with, with that one and Spirited Away as being their favorite. Most of the time it's Spirited Away, but I've seen a lot of people talk about My Neighbor Totoro as like their, their like perfect like animated movie. So, I mean, I'm interested. Honestly, the one that I think I'm going to like the most is Princess Mononoke. Um, yeah, that that's a really great one. I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I'm actually gearing up for a rewatch. Maybe we should plan like to Ooh, yeah. see it around the same time so we can have a full fleshed out discussion. But heck yeah, uh, dude. I would love to rewatch that one and How's Moving Castle, especially, which is yeah. another one that people often bring up as one of their favorites. Yeah. Uh, it's just a lovely, lovely movie. Um, yeah. I would also recommend if you're getting into Studio Ghibli, you you check out some of the non Hayao Miyazaki directed movies like Grave of the Fireflies. I think you'd really vibe with. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard about it's that. It's like one. the most depressing <laughs> movie. Yeah, that. Yeah, great. yeah. I definitely want to look at uh, some other like studio like non Miyazaki Studio Ghibli films. Um, but I'm just starting with Miyazaki because yeah, I, why not? So. Um, no, that's a great starting point, and I, yeah. I I think you should see all of the ones he did because they're all great. Like, yeah, that's the thing is he 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 takes no L's. They're all good. Yeah, um, even I'd, if you don't. I'm sort of starting to realize. Like <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, did yeah. you? What else did you watch? <laughs> Dude, I uh, I watched uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh like, yeah, isn't that one of your favorite? You know what? I have something dirty to say. Uh oh. Royal Tenenbaums is is great. Um, don't get me wrong, 
but I've I, I think on this rewatching, I've I've finally become comfortable with the fact that it is not one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, and in fact, I think it's kind of lower on my on my personal list. Like I can acknowledge that it's probably one of the best directed Wes Anderson movies, and I I, I definitely see why people love it. I see the I see the attraction, but for me, I um, you know, while I really love the soundtrack and the direction and a lot of beats of the story i i don't care for a lot of the characters in the middle of the conflict like i i often find re-watching this movie that i think the side characters are a lot more interesting like owen wilson's eli cash is like the best character in the movie i wish he was in it more mm-hmm. but like th- there's a romance between you know adopted siblings um that has never really worked for me. Like it's always kind of weirded me out. And in this rewatching, I, I just realized how, you know, central that is and the plot, that romance. Um, and it, you know, and that not working for me has kind of detracted from my enjoyment of the movies. I also think that while all of the characters are pretty great in this movie, there's just so many of them that like, it kind of gets muddled. Like, I think that's at the heart of all of Wes Anderson's weaker movies is that he's got a bunch of celebrities playing a bunch of characters and not a lot of them get developed along the way. Um, I think that an example where it's done really well is like uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, where you still got like a lot of famous people, but their roles are relegated to like pretty small, like, uh, duties and you you let the no name who played zero in that movie uh and uh the the younger girl i think sorcer ronan actually was in that movie you let those two be the shining stars and ray fines and like mm-hmm. that movie i think is like really well balanced because of it and i and i hate to say it but i, I just don't think royal tenenbaums balances characters and plot all that well and i think it really huh. detracts from the viewing experience for me i think it's still got that wes anderson charm i just think that you know he was starting to experiment with a lot um and i don't think it all worked out um and i don't know this is a pretty unpopular opinion but i think his next movie after royal tenenbaums um life aquatic was yeah was much better and I, I love the life more aquatic. Like the way- yes life aquatic is just like one of my favorite movies of all time and i don't know i i guess i guess comparing wes anderson's other work and how marvelous it is to royal tenenbaums like royal tenenbaums is still great i just i don't think it's one of my favorites and i think i i'm finally comfortable telling people that even though um it's regarded usually as like maybe his best movie um i don't know that's just this is my opinion so mm. if i'm taking an are, l here are guys, you, you are you taking know. your first l on the podcast i've never taken an l before but i will take this live big fat l okay li- you heard it ladies and gentlemen live on the podcast uh isaac hayes Udaj has taken his first l on mind over movies i'm on my 10th but uh <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I'm here. I'm a, I'm a even out the the score a little bit real quick. I I haven't even watched the Royal Tenenbaums yet. 
it's one of the Wes Anderson films I still haven't seen, and I've only not seen like two of his films, so that's one of them that I haven't watched yet. <laughs> have you Have you seen Darjeeling uh, Limited? Uh, no, that's the one. So I haven't seen Darjeeling, Darjeeling Limited, uh, The Royal Tenenbaums, Bombs, or Bottle Rocket, which is his first. I haven't seen those three. Mm-hmm. I still need to watch those. I think I've seen everything else, though. I would say those all rank among probably my like lower Wes Anderson movies, like... I do like Darjeeling a lot, and I need to revisit it. I think Bottle Rocket is probably his worst movie, which in, inconsequentially, like that's his first movie. So I mean, right? He was just figuring himself out. But um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I I was just gonna say I think you should definitely watch Royal Tenenbaums. Like I think it's necessary yeah. viewing. You know, all of his movies are, but. Uh, you take it away, man. What were you gonna say? <laughs> uh, I was just—I was just gonna uh, quickly say that I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, next, oh, that's a great, yeah, big W right there. Big w, big w, yeah. That one, it that it honestly, I'm kind of t- like I really, really love Life Aquatic, and I I want to go back and rewatch it. Um, but uh, I think Mr. Fox, Fantastic Mr. Fox, is still it's still up there, honestly. So. Um, I think that's just one of the greatest animated movies out there. Like, oh, yeah. That's so... It's honestly, infinitely charming. Yeah. Honestly, though, Isle of Dogs isn't too far behind it for me. Like, I personally loved Isle of Dogs. I thought that was just as cute and heartwarming as Mr. Fox. You know, maybe we could have a whole Wes Anderson ranked episode, but I... Yep. Honestly, Isle of Dogs was a bit of a disappointment for me. I, oh, really? I guess I went in expecting Fantastic Mr. Fox quality. Um... I, I definitely got, uh, had Mr. Fox on the brain when I first started watching it, but I don't know. I just think it fell short of like what I expected from it. But I, I think maybe a rewatch is in order uh, for that, Possibly. you know, and we could definitely do a Wes Anderson ranked and discussion. Like he, he's, he's a director that definitely deserves like a director spotlight. Yeah. Oh, he's, definitely. He's so influential, like on, on modern directors, like Noah Bumbach, for example, yeah, uh, it takes a lot of takes a lot of cues. I feel like from Wes Anderson. Um, Definitely, you know, Greta Greta Gerwig. I would say even mm-hmm. um, uses a lot of, of, of tricks that he uh, he's devised. He's just a great modern filmmaker. Like it, definitely an interesting case where whatever he comes out with, people are going to go see it. He's like Tarantino of the indie world in that instance because i mean tarantino used to be the tarantino of the indie world but then <laughs> yeah true he makes expensive movies these days I mean, yeah it's just not the case anymore yeah well uh, did you see any other films i i did and i know um we should the last thing we should do is we should talk about wandavision because i know you caught up yeah i finally caught up yeah right i, I have some okay. thoughts we can keep okay. that you know good brief spoiler um, free but right obviously um but i just have two more have movies a big spoiler discussion um oh god when the, the when the whole the series yeah when the whole season is over or the series i guess it's a mini series when it's over we're gonna do some spoiler discussion definitely yeah we'll 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 be like uh, any other nerd outlet that you go to, we'll actually we'll actually delve deep into it. But anyway, let's hear your reviews, Casey. What else did you see? All right, I watched a, a 1996 uh, film directed by Jean Favreau, uh, starring Jean Favreau, and or wait, did he direct it? Let me double check that. I know he starred oh, is it in the it. The boxer with, one. 
Uh, no, it's uh, it's called Swingers. It was with him and oh. Vince Vaughn. Sorry, no, it's directed I've... by Doug Lehman. I've heard about Swingers. You know, do you know the how it should have ended on YouTube? I know it's got kind of like a mixed legacy. Oh, um, dude, I was watching Hishi when it was a small channel with like two hundred thousand views. <laughs> so me too. But like the Batman and Superman uh, bits. Uh, apparently the creator was inspired by swingers when okay you know that, that makes that makes sense now that makes total sense and it's always made me want to watch swingers because i've i've always thought that that's the best bit that they do on hishi is you know the batman and the cafe, cafe yeah so, i mean they yeah. kind of run it into the ground in recent years but definitely but uh no dude swingers is, is a perfectly fine movie um i think John Favreau and and Vince Vaughn, their performances are incredible. Um, they're just kind of it's kind of it. It reminds me of like mumblecore uh, films where like the dialogue is super like fluid and, and and there's excessive, but it also feels it feels you know has a sense of like realism to it. Um, and it's funny, like it's pretty a pretty freaking funny movie. Um, there's just not a whole lot of content in it. It's really just an hour and a half of Jean Favreau trying to get over his ex and trying to find um, a girlfriend. And Vince Vaughn is just like hyping him up the entire time. Um, but no, it's a it's a fun movie. There is a bunch of continuity errors in this movie that don't like just like The Shining just don't make sense. Like I, there's a shot where um, after Jean Favreau's character is. Uh, on the phone, he like has an answering machine and like a phone, like uh, like a dock, like where you sets the you set the phone in and then you pick it up and you can walk with it. And then right next to that is like a black answering machine. And in this shot, he, he he's literally using the answering machine. Then he picks up the phone, walks into the kitchen. It's one single shot. And when he walks back, both the phone, like dock, and the answering machine are missing from the table. It makes no sense. I, I, I watched that a couple times. I went back and I was like, what the hell? No sense. makes no sense. Um, of course, there could have been a cut there. I don't know. But hold on. Pause for a second. Luke's calling me. And we're back. Yeah. A small break there. But. Oh, potty lunch break right there. Yeah. Um, swingers good watch it if you haven't it, it's it's a fun watch you know you could you get yeah swingers is is cool i'll um, definitely be checking it out definitely <laughs> uh and then the other film that i watched uh it was the 1941 uh the maltese falcon with humphrey bogart Ooh, um, and that, that one watch list. it's been on your watch list yeah but i've always wanted to see it but uh it's how is um it? It's kind of hard to follow a little just for like because it's you know it's one of those it's a noir film and they talk really fast and they do a lot of things um, but it's very entertaining I liked it uh, a lot and um, it's just a very interesting film in, in the context of, of what was being made in 1941 uh, compared to like you know this film it's a uh, one of the greatest noirs you know ever made um and uh there's like three versions of it apparently but the 1941 is is unanimously voted the best um and humphrey bogart is just i love him can i just say that i i know this is not <laughs> anything new but oh he is a fantastic actor and it just a 
just so funny. Just whatever comes out of his mouth is just a hoot and a holler. I love it. Um, so yeah, if y'all are interested in, in film noir, then the Maltese Falcon, the 1941 version, uh, that's for you, bud. That's a, it's a fun time. Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm in. Uh, yeah, so, dude. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely bring my attention game to the, cause I mean, I feel like that's oh, definitely. That you can't miss any details. I was definitely, I definitely had to Wikipedia it a couple times because I was getting kind of lost. Um, but then Can again, we normalize I'm, doing that. Like, I feel like yeah. a sense of shame about having to go to Wikipedia <laughs> to understand what's going on. But I feel like no, there's I'd nothing wrong. Figure that out with a little help than like have to watch a movie right. like multiple times to get it. Like, I don't know. Like, I definitely get the appeal behind movies like Primer, which are like really hard to follow and they've got very complex time travel stuff going on. But I definitely, you know, like to have some some materials to like help me understand it like i i don't think that there's any shame in like not doing it on your own like come up with your own opinion about a movie but if you need help understanding it like what's so wrong about going to someone else and 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 yeah that way you know yeah i mean all i did was like if i got a little like lost about uh which character was which i just went to the wikipedia and like looked at the plot summary basically and just Mm -hmm. read what i'd already watched i was like okay i'm back on track and yeah, I just had to do that a couple times because it's like they like run around so much. Like the entire film is is and they talk super fast. So sometimes I was missing some little tidbits. Um, so really, you really got to turn your big brain on and and watch it. Uh, it's not just like a, a, a an easy you know sit down, smoke some weed and watch it or whatever you do. But <laughs> um, whatever you kids do nowadays to watch movies, but. Um, Anyway, yeah, it's it's really good though. I, I enjoyed it, but you just have to really pay attention because they do talk fast and a lot happens. So, you know, and, and speaking of attention deficits, uh, we're uh, we we have a show now, uh, Wandavision. True. That is testing the limits of Marvel fans. I'm seeing a <laughs> lot of people saying it's too slow, it's too boring. Oh God! Uh, nothing happens. And let me say, oh my God, we can't have nice things because I of know you. <laughs> can I? Can I just? Can I go on a little mini rant here? Just sixty seconds, okay? Absolutely, go. Um, I, I fucking hate the the Marvel fan base. Like, I I absolutely hate them. Wandavision is the most interesting like plot line that the that the MCU has had in a, a few years like i mean in game and, and and infinity war all that stuff was awesome but this the mystery in this is so intriguing and it's different and it's so i think it's so good and i got so like pissed like my blood was boiling when i got on the internet and i saw everybody complaining about it about it being slow about it and i'm just like dude are you are you are you kidding me right now? It literally infuriated me just the attention span and the childishness of this fucking fan base. It literally pisses me off. Like I I can't understand. I don't I don't understand what it is not to like about this show. Like I'm sure like yeah, it's got its like quirks and there there are some like nitpicky things. But for the most part, 
This is the most interesting thing that I have seen Marvel produce in years. And it is it is fine. It is perfectly fine the way it is. The pacing is, to me, perfect. Because, I mean, I've seen the trailers for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've seen all the boom, boom, bang, bang, you know, explosions that we're going to get in there. And to be watching WandaVision, you know, coming hot off the heels of, like, the most climactic uh, point of the MCU thus far, it's refreshing. It's like a palate cleanser. And I think the pacing is just fine. It's what a series is supposed to be. It gives you just enough information in one episode to let you in on a little bit. And then it makes you wait another week for, you know, the rest to, to come in. And I think that is absolutely wonderful. And I think people who are complaining really just need to shut the hell up. I am so fucking tired of it, dude. Okay, rant over. It was a little more than 60 seconds, but... I'm so mad, dude. Like, are you not mad how many, like, articles are coming out about, like, that's all I see about people complaining about it. Like, I just can't I, believe it. I honestly can't. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm kind of surprised about how little discourse I've I've seen on this show. Like, I, I have seen, like, people say it's interesting, and then I've also seen people say it's, like, really boring but i just haven't seen all that much like on twitter or instagram about it and maybe that's because people are trying to help keep spoilers under wraps but uh you know i i can't really gauge what the general consensus on the show is amongst the fan base right now i will say um i'm a little confused as to why uh fans would resent this like i i think that it it definitely plays with enough like marvel like tropes and like uh Mm -hmm. you know iconography that like there's enough to like keep a fan invested like i don't know i don't think it's like the most subtle show ever invented i think it's subtle for marvel but like i mean right it's it's a show with fake commercials in it that have like hydra symbols like very plainly on like watches and stuff like if you're paying attention at all you're you're being immersed in the in the tension of the show like the thing i like about the first three episodes of wandavision is that you know it's going along with this uh, this like sitcom like whatever the hell is happening thing but you the audience know something is wrong like if you've watched any marvel movies before you know this can't possibly be all there is and i feel like that should keep you invested and then on top of that in the show there's just so many like kind of horror or like thriller-esque moments that like were surprisingly like chilling to watch like there's a moment at the end of the second episode where like someone comes out of like a sewer grate um and oh no did i lose connection to you casey discord disconnected but i've been talking on wandavision i'll i'll keep at it but yeah there's this moment in the second episode where someone comes out of a oh you can't hear me one second i'm gonna pause the audio Sorry, we're back. There were some technical difficulties there. Technical difficulties. But what I was saying is that there's there's moments of horror that are, like, kind of surprising to me. Like, at the end of the second episode, and I don't know how many times you've heard me say this at this point because of the technical difficulties, but um, a, a man, like, crawls out of a sewer drain, and it's, it's oddly horrifying. Like, yeah. I, what happens is just, like, scary, and there's a moment of tension, and then it goes back to normal. And, yeah. like, if you're paying any amount of attention to the show, I feel like you're going to be disturbed by what's happening, like, by yeah. what's going on. Um, and on top of that, this may be kind of an unpopular opinion. 
the fourth episode throws out all subtlety that the show has anyway and goes back to like standard marvel shit so i mean like what what uh what are you complaining about yeah i mean (laughs) you know and this is what honestly here's my worry with wandavision is that it's going to placate too much to marvel fans you know like yeah that the first three episodes are a bit too high concept and too subtle for them and that they're going to go back on it in the middle of the season and just like you know be blatantly obvious and like without spoiling it just the fourth episode kind of starts to offer up explanations and tie back into like the larger marvel universe and it's for me i'm kind of disappointed that we're doing that already it's like we didn't get to live in the experiment very long and now we're back in like yeah i I was already seen yeah i was very surprised that the fourth episode went ahead and you know i was expecting maybe like the the sixth or seventh episode we would start to you know see that side of it but what i'm hoping is that with the next episode we go back to the you know the experiment the the tv show side and we get another you know kind of episode of that or a couple episodes and and then maybe go back but um I mean, yeah, I was enjoying the the sitcom uh, stuff, like all of it. I thought it was great. Because the sitcom plots are like, they're very heightened, like tropes. And it's it's amusing to watch from that angle. But then like, yeah. you know, when, when the show's like deeper story starts to creep in, it's like unsettling and it's mm-hmm. really cool to see. And I think it's more effective when it's on that side of the show that we start to see um some things fall apart rather than when it's explained to us like i think it's 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 entirely more subtle and like thrilling and and scary sometimes um which i will say at the end of the fourth episode they do kind of they do kind of get right back on track and there was like a, a pretty scary moment that i was like oh my god i can't believe that they're showing that yeah and i hope that there's more moments like that in future episodes same yeah i know exactly what you're talking about that was i mean no spoilers but if y'all have seen wandavision you also know what we're talking about that was insanely just horrifying for a minute that i was like oh wow they they did that that's that's cool <laughs> Um, it is just it's spooky dookie yeah <laughs> spooky dookie bro but no i mean i mean i kind of agree with you i was a little disappointed we were kind of that this episode was you know out of that what we had you know normally been seeing but at this at the same time the the overall story like the mystery of it and everything um was was still pretty good i i feel like the writing is still you know pretty on par um I just wish that I think Elizabeth Olsen and, and and Paul Bettany especially are like amazing throughout this show. Oh uh, yeah, and, and I mean all the actors they brought on are pretty fun. I do. I think the the two broke girls actress that they brought on in episode four. Uh, I don't know if I like her all that much, but you know that's just a personal taste. <laughs> oh gotcha. Oh, are you talking about um, you talking about Darcy? Yeah. Oh okay yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, her character hasn't changed since the Thor movies, so. <laughs> Wait, um, is she in the Thor movies? Yeah, dude, that's Darcy from from Thor. Thor 1 and 2, and... Uh, oh my god. She's the... <laughs> yeah, she's the one that, like, knocks Thor out, like, when they first find him. <laughs> or she, like, tases him or something. I did, uh... 
I did not remember her because let me tell you what, that is how little I care about Thor one and two, and she is definitely not in Ragnarok. So, yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> I just completely forgot that was a that was an already established character. Okay, wow. Well, I've never really liked that character. Um, <laughs> I didn't even remember her, but uh, hey, she's back. Sorry, that's yeah. kind of a spoiler. I mean, actually, it's not. She was she was in the promotional images for the show. Oh well. So then, hey, not a spoiler. Yeah. yeah, that's why. That's why I was okay with saying like, yeah, Darcy's back. Like, cause she was in the poster. Like, if you don't know, even if you haven't seen the fourth episode, like, she's in the poster. So that's why I was like, eh. yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, there's like posters of like stuff that's not said in the TV show, but we won't divulge like what's going on there. Definitely, it's not. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, watch Wandavision if you haven't. Um, it's going pretty good right now, I think. So. Um, We'll have to see. In March, we'll have a big season wrap, spoiler-filled yeah. talk. You know, really, Definitely. really air it all out. But I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised for sure. I, I'm having a great time. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but yeah, wow. Um, good discussion today. Watched a lot of stuff. I'm glad I caught up, on, caught up on all that. Um, yeah, man. Touch honestly, we touched on a, a lot of different types of movies. Like started with The Shining, went to battleship and and spirited away and then got to film noir and then ended it and wes anderson and then uh yeah. talked about biopics you know, biopics and yeah, then ended it with sweet. wandavision so something for everybody in this place. episode <laughs> this is just a people pleaser or an episode you listen to for 10 minutes and then turn off because we're not on your favorite subject anymore. I don't True. know. <laughs> I don't, maybe I'll include timestamps for this episode, you know, bring in the, Ooh, bring yeah, in the, that, that might be helpful. Yeah. Bring back the timestamps. Bring back the, you did it for episode one and then that's it. I'm sorry. It's very, it's very, it's a grueling process to include timestamps. I just, so you know, audience. Um, but if you want them, then I'll do, I'll take the extra yeah. 15 minutes that it takes to do them and i'll do it <laughs> if this episode gets 10 listens casey will do timestamp yeah if 10 people listen to this podcast and i look at the numbers so i know if 10 people listen then i will do timestamps okay wait are we talk are we talking spread out between spotify and youtube you know what are you looking um i look at both of them let's do let's do spotify if it gets 10 spotify listens I'll do timestamps, but it, and if it get hold on, if it gets ten Spotify listens and thirty views on YouTube, I'll do timestamps again. Whoa, okay, okay. Well, you heard the man; he has demands. Um, I yeah. So so get to work, people. If get- you want your precious widow timestamps back, <laughs> you gotta please Casey, and he's a hard boss to yeah. to please. Well, anyway, I, I've, uh, I've been Isaac. Yeah, and I've been Casey. Um, hold on, I gotta go take the mailman's here again. Let me go take care of that real quick. Wait for real.